Well, hello, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. It may not be in the way you think, which is probably single family houses. That's okay. We do it, the multifamily, and we can do it whether you have experience or cash or no cash or no experience whatsoever. It really opens up the door for many, many people to exit their W-2 job, become financial free in one to two years with multifamily real estate. So I'm really excited about the people that we have here to help you pave a way to figure out how to do that. Now, before I want to do a shout out here for our podcast reviewer who left a, a review on podcast, Dinero007, love that name. He or she writes, this was my first podcast on my journey through renting an investment property. I really appreciate how Michael Blanc breaks things down and talks about details I don't get really anywhere else. I appreciate this show greatly. So if you enjoy the show, leave us a, re a review on iTunes. That way iTunes ranks us higher and more people will find us because we want to reach people who are thinking they want to quit their job. They want financial freedom with real estate and they may not be thinking multifamily though. So anyone you know, tell them about this thing and leave us a review. I appreciate it. We do highlight people who do their first deal. They're not always mentoring students, though it certainly accelerates them doing that. I do want to highlight one. Rob Lutain did a first deal. It was a 104-unit low-rise apartment complex in Chesapeake, Virginia. I want to shout that out. And they've since then closed a 92-unit in Hampton, Virginia, and a 25-mixed-unit community in Longview. And um, this demonstrates really the law of the first deal and how things accelerate. That first deal was done in partnership with uh, two other students, Chris Roberts and Paul Wilcox, and uh, they worked with mentor Phil Capron. So a lot of the people really join venture. It's a very, very common thing, and you should definitely consider it as well. If you want to check out our mentoring, we're at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. You can find information out there and look at some of our fantastic full-time syndicator mentors. That's all they do is syndicate and uh, teach others how to do the same thing. And you can set up a call to see if mentoring is right for you. That's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Also, we're going to start answering some questions on the show here from questions that you might have on social media. So we're at, at the Michael Blanc on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, and also on LinkedIn and YouTube. So let us some questions and then we'll uh, answer some of them on the show here as well. Our next guest is, uh, you probably know them well, is Joe Fairless. And I always enjoy talking with Joe. And uh, this is actually an interview from Dealmaker Live here a few weeks ago. It was a great interview. They always are. And we try to have something for everyone, whether you're a completely new investor or you're an experienced investor. This one is more geared more towards a more experienced investor. But even if you're not a more experienced investor, you always need to look ahead. You want to be 12 to 24 months out around where you want to be. Because once you do that first deal, things happen very rapidly and things scale very rapidly. So you want to be you looking ahead at operations, at systems, at people. And this particular thing is going to be on your radar because Joe has stopped investing in single deals and raising money for single deals. He's only doing funds. Well, that's interesting. When Joe does something, I pay attention. So I wanted to talk to him about, well, why is he doing only funds? What was the problem with just raising money for a single deal? What are the advantages of doing a fund? What are the, some of the disadvantages, pros and cons? And when would it be suitable for someone to start thinking about a fund? And I found that it's actually something that you should think about sooner rather than later. I found that very interesting. Let's get right in the interview with Joe Fairless. Here we go. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. 
Whether you're just getting started or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Hey, Joe, what's going on? Hey, good to talk to you. Looking forward to it. So where are you right now? <laughs> I am in at a lake in Ohio. Uh, we've got a lake house and this is what what I do in the summer a lot of the time with my wife and my kid and got some family members coming and just hanging out. So this is kind of why we do what we do, right? I mean, you could work harder. I could work harder. We both work harder, but you got to find a balance. How do you find that, that balance? Well, I, I think a lot of it's integration. I mean, Tony Robbins talks about that where it's work-life balance is, is tough to come by, but if you can integrate uh, what you're doing with, with, you know, other fun stuff, well, then you've, you've found a good recipe. And uh, I mean, this is an example. I am at the lake and I'm also, uh, I guess we could center this work. I mean, I, I don't really consider talking to work. I enjoy that, but <laughs> I guess you could consider, you know, this is something that we're doing professionally. So uh, yeah, it's just about integration. Yeah. So uh, blurring the lines between business and, and non-business, what are some other ways that you, that you do that? Well, I mean, we travel, I travel a decent amount now that we are able to travel again. So January and some of February, we take a road trip. We meaning my wife, my two and a half year old daughter and our 11 year old uh, dog with a lot of attitude go to Florida typically. And we spend you know some time there. And the way to do that is you've got systems in place i mean that, that's that's the only way you can do that because if the show stops whenever you leave then that's a problem so you know just making sure that you've got the right people in place and and compensating them well because if they aren't then 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 they don't have that type of incentive to continue to keep on going whenever you're away yeah i mean you're just a systems guy and, and, and not only that but you're a team builder which is what i what i love which allows you to do the things you want to do, but also you're, you're never standing still. You're always thinking of new things. You're thinking of how to improve the business. In fact, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, we're both syndicators and you said, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a better game to play and the same game, but played slightly differently. And you recently pivoted to only doing funds now, which we've been talking about pros and cons here and there. You apparently concluded that it was the best thing to do. And I'd like to find out why. Tell us, first of all, what you're, what you're doing and we'll get into why you decided that was a good thing. So we're doing funds, as you mentioned. And so obviously I, I'm I exclusively, maybe not obviously, I exclusively purchase apartment communities. That's what we do. And we, we buy 200 plus unit apartment communities. And we've, we've bought to date 38 apartment communities, uh, all value add deals. So we've done this 38 times. And when you do something that amount of times, then, you know, you're going to pick up on some efficiencies, some better ways to do what you've been doing. And I can tell you that from the fun perspective, uh, which we just started this past February. So, you know, not too long ago, but it's something that we've we've already been uh, we, there's already been such positive feedback and action taken by investors we're not going to go back i've learned in this business and in life never say never about things so it's highly unlikely we'll ever go back to doing individual deals 
Right. Okay. So you're doing funds. What do these funds look like? Kind of how are you setting them up? And then I want to get into the, the reasons of why you thought that was a good idea. But talk about what the structure is and kind of how you're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. The structure is what, how we were similar to how we were doing individual deals. There's two classes, class A, class B, class A, 10% pref, class B, 7% pref, class A, virtually no upside. Uh, class B has upside 70, 30. Uh, is a split. Uh, once you get a 13% IRR, then it's 50-50 thereafter. So it's similar to how we were doing the uh, individual deals, but from a limited partner standpoint, it makes more sense. It's more beneficial in my opinion. And then from a general partner standpoint, it makes more sense uh, in my opinion. And I can get into some specifics if you want yeah. on, on why. Okay. Yeah, on, on why. Because there's, there's pros and, of course, there's cons. It's not like it's a, it's a no-brainer. Uh, so there's I'd like to hear... There's pros and cons. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there, there, with anything we do in life, there's pros and cons. I, I hear you. Um, so let's talk about the cons. So the con from a LP standpoint is that you are investing in multiple deals when you invest in a fund. Therefore, if one deal does incredibly well, well, you're going to get the average of all the deals. So you you missed out on catching lightning in a bottle, unfortunately, most likely, because probably if, say, there's seven deals in the fund, probably seven deals aren't going to hit grand slams. Uh, so you're going to end up with the average of those seven deals. So you know, if, if you're looking to swing big, uh, swing for the fences as an LP, fun's not not the way to go, in my opinion. The others are going to bring down the lightning in the bottle one. So that's the downside. Uh, and then the downside from a general partner standpoint, you're going to make me stretch my mind on that. I mean, there. okay, so, so there are some investors who don't like investing in a fund uh, for perhaps the reason I just mentioned. Therefore, you can lose out on some investors as a result of being having a fund. So there's that. So those are the two cons that and I what can about, think what of. What about another con, uh, Joe? What do you yeah. think about that? This, uh, I think one of the cons is that you're always raising capital, right? You know, so you know when you look at a campaign, you do a webinar, and for a period of seven, ten days, it's like hot and heavy, and you're getting the closing, and it's a stressful situation. And you, and you do this once a quarter, and you're like, oh man, I can barely swing that, but doing this all the time, raising money all the time, you know, is that a con in your, in your mind or is that actually a major pro? <laughs> That's definitely a pro because if you're doing individual deals, you're likely not going to stop at that single deal. <laughs> you're likely, if you buy a deal, you're likely going to buy another deal. And if you're going to be buying another deal, you might as well just not have to start and stop. I mean, I liken raising money for individual deals. And as you described, trying to hit that dollar amount that you need to hit for that raise, but not go over that dollar amount, but not go under that dollar amount, like trying to land a helicopter on top of a mountain on a windy day. It's like you have to get a, a very uh, small window of equity exactly right. And as you know, and everyone who's raising money for individual deals knows that, well, guess what? When you're trying to close, you're going to have some investors who are AWOL. You don't, they committed, but you don't know where they went. 
there's a handful of them. I, I don't know where what happened to them. Jim Rome would say the birds got them. You know, it, it just who knows. But then you've got some investors who want in, but you don't know if you can bring them in because you have uh, those investors who went AWOL. You're trying to get in touch with them. And then you're trying to hit an exact equity amount. Some have funded, some haven't. Following up with investors. I mean, it's just it's just challenging. It's a, it's an administrative burden uh, at the finish line. So that's removed um, by and large, except for at the very end of the fund, whenever you're trying to close it out. But um, you don't have to do it for every individual deal. So another con could be, my gosh, maybe it's more expensive than a regular syndication. Yes. At the beginning, it, to set it up. But once you set it up, you don't have the recurring legal fees to set up individual deals. So I would think, although I can't confirm this because I'm not working on this with our attorneys, a team member of mine is. So I, I don't have enough information to confirm this, but I would suspect that when you set up the fund once, from a legal standpoint, we actually have efficiencies over the period of time because we're doing five to seven deals uh, versus setting it up every single time, starting and stopping. Yeah. Okay. I, my, my, get, my, get, my guess is that is at minimum a wash, but on the front end, yes, it's going to cost more. So with these deals, then can you do you have to raise everything up front? Let's say you have a $50 million deal. Do you, do you raise everything up front or do you sell it in tranches? As investors commit, they fund all of their money. Uh, we don't do uh, commitments and then call for capital in increments over time. And the reason why is that I'm not at the level yet where I'm raising $200 million in one month, not happening right now. Therefore, the deal flow and the equity commitments are coming at the same pace. Now, if I was really, really good at what I do, then I would get $200 million in one month but we wouldn't have $200 million worth of deals to close on in that month. Therefore, we would not be able to have that $200 million funded in one month uh, because it would be too expensive to pay a preferred return on $200 million when we don't have a deal to support it. But we've been, maybe you call it fortunate because the deal flow and the money is going at about the same time or you know that that's just how the reality is right now. I, I would suspect that as we do more funds, which we will do more funds, that we might have to start calling for uh, capital uh, in tranches uh, as as we go, because we'll have more demand, uh, even more demand than we have now. So if you overraise, and you, you're more successful raising money, like you said, $200 million in, let's say, say a month, you could then either raise in tranches or go the commitment route, where basically investors commit a certain money and then you can do a capital call, right? So that's that's option yeah. option one. Option two is let's say you underraise. Let's say you you you're, you're open your fund and you need whatever ten million dollars for the next deal, and you gosh, you only have five. Let's say, right? How do you step up your capital raising? How do you make sure that you're you're staying in pace between the money and the and the cap, and the deals coming in? Well, that's not unique to a fund. That's true. That would be that would be a scenario where I mean, you you could ask that question if you know if you're doing an individual deal if you need. 10 million, but you have 5 million. What do you do? I mean, <laughs> you scramble, you, you make it happen. I mean, you, you could talk to uh, preferred equity groups 
Uh, that would decrease the amount of equity that you'd need. Now, there's strings attached to that, obviously. I mean, to start dialing the phones, your projection was off for what you thought you could bring. So, you know, you, you scramble and you do what you need to do. All right. So there's a lot of lot of uh, pros there. We talked about, you know, if you have consistent deal flow, you're spreading out the capital raising over time. That's cool. You know, the other advantage is that you can bring investors on whenever they're ready to invest. Right. So, you know, what we're doing now is we get a call. We don't have a deal right now. We say, hey, we'll call you when you're, when there's a deal. Meanwhile, they go like, well, what is this? I'm going to invest somewhere else. And they invest with someone else. And so we lose that investor. So there's certainly any other pros that you guys uh, that you think is good with a, with a fund. Oh, yeah. From an LP standpoint, well, there's a chance you can have better returns because the GP can commingle money. And here's the scenario where the LP could have better returns because the GP can commingle funds. Right now, if you are doing individual deals, it's illegal to commingle money. So you don't commingle money, right? From one deal to another. But with a fund, you can. And so here's the here's how that plays out as an advantage to the LP and the GPs. Deal one needs uh, $7 million worth of CapEx. You raise the $7 million. Uh, deal three in the fund needs $7 million in CapEx. But you don't raise that $7 million because deal one, you're doing well. You bought in bulk from somewhere, uh, all the appliances, you save a lot of money and your team's coming under on the renovation budget by 2 million. So you really only use 5 million of the 7 million in the deal. So you've saved $2 million on deal one. Well, in individual deals, that's great. But in a fund, that's even better because now you're bringing in less capital for the deals because you can then bring those cost savings and you don't, you don't raise that extra $2 million. Actually, that's a huge benefit, Joe, because we see this a lot across the portfolio. Some, you know, we, we raise whatever CapEx we raise and then we don't use like a million dollars of it because for some reason we don't need to. Well, if we get into rents, we were going to do this and move the building to the right by one foot. Don't have to do that. You know, meanwhile, so we got money sitting there. What do we do with this money? Do we return it back to the investors? And then meanwhile, some are like, they need more capital. And yep. you don't want to do a capital call, of course. That's, that's a no-no. Yep. So therefore, you're not actually achieving your pro forma because you're just slightly undercapitalized. Therefore, if you can now move those funds around, yeah, it's easier for you and it's better for the investor as well. I think the other thing also, this is what irritates me a little bit about this portfolio approach. Like you said, there are some home runs in the portfolio and then some are like not really going to plan, right? And you're like, yep. from an investor, you're like, man, I really want consistency, right? Because the investor wants to plan for the future. They want to know if I put money in this thing, I want a 15%, whatever, average annual return. I want it over the next five to 10 years. And if I know I can get that, I can plan reliably. And I want cash flow as well. And sometimes we completely over, uh, over deliver. Sometimes we under deliver. And really what we want is we want to deliver consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a yep. huge, a huge advantage of a, of a fund. Now, have you found that it's harder? I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, some investors, you said uh, from a G perspective, some investors, you know, you would lose some who don't want to invest in a fund. Have you found it's harder to raise for a fund? So if you compare your your capital raising no, trends, it's, it's not. It's easier. It's easier. So that's easier. that's a bit of a myth then. And, and I include myself yeah. in that because I've, I've heard it's harder to raise for a fund because investors really want to be able to drive to their property, which, of course, they don't do. You know, they want to know that they own a piece of a particular property. Why do you say it's easier? The results. We've raised more money in the time period in which we've had the fund than we would have if we had individual deals. 
your example earlier is spot on where since we're since we're constantly raising money because the funds open when someone becomes interested we've always got an opportunity for them and it's a 506c deal so we can bring them in once they qualify as an accredited investor immediately we don't have to have a pre-existing relationship so they, they can come in immediately versus starting and stopping starting and stopping waiting starting and stopping it's a constant flow of equity coming in so I, I, I always want to look at the downside of things as you brought up, hey, what's the what's the cons? But man, as a as a GP, you do it. I mean, you do it. It, it just there's there's so, it's, you need to do it. This is you need to do it. And the question is, for who is this for? And at one mm -hmm. point, should one do it? Because I'm looking around yeah. and I'm looking around, you know, in, in our world and I only see very, very accomplished syndicators raising tens of millions of dollars on a routine basis going to funds now. There may be a reason for that, but the other one could be simple ignorance. Like, oh, funds are expensive, funds are hard, uh, it's mm -hmm. gonna be harder for me, therefore I'm not gonna do it until <clears throat> I'm raising $100 million a year. I mean, what do yeah. you think? Now that you know you're in the fund, I mean, who is this for? I would say have a couple exits under your belt. Take a couple deals full cycle. If you've taken a couple deals full cycle, then my assumption is that you have also acquired I'm going to arbitrarily pick this number, but five, at least five, five deals. So you've at least acquired five deals and you've taken at least two full cycle. You're beginning to establish a pattern. I mean, your, your pattern has started and you, you have an investor uh, base. W once you get to that level, I'd say it's go time for a fund. And, you know, I, I probably should say this isn't securities advice, isn't legal advice. So I, I don't know if the fund's right for you, whoever we're, you know, we're speaking with. So talk to your attorney. But there's a lot of business reasons from an LP and GP standpoint that it makes sense to do. I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, especially if you've done five deals, you take a couple full cycle. There is a pattern, a track record. And I think that's always important. But what I really like about it is that you, and I'm looking sort of practical now, you're always raising money. And, you know, people say, well, it is very stressful during the, during the webinars, let's say, and there's a lot of stuff. But here's the thing. Between webinars, you're taking calls with investors, right? You have yeah, to establish yeah. relationships and you're talking you're to investors. You're always raising money. It's so, a so matter basically, if you can bring them in or not. Right, that's exactly right. So the, the, the comparison is, well, instead of talking to investors, telling them, hey, you know what? I'll keep you posted. Why not say, hey, I'll send you the paperwork, you know? Because yeah. there's a lot of attrition, like you said. The more yeah. time that goes by between the phone call and the deal, and we notice this, we track this. The closer we are, we have the first call, phone call now, existing investors is one thing, but new investors are another. New investors, they're ready to go. They, you know, they they listen to the podcast. They read the book. They're ready to go. You know, and you're like, no, you're gonna have to wait. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm ready to go. You know, and we're like, we're gonna have to wait. And I said, that's it. I'm calling Joe because he's ready to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so I I think interesting that you said it's easier to raise capital going the fund route is because you can strike when the when the iron is hot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big advantage. Now, 506C, let's talk about why is this important? I mean, here's what I know about 506C. The advantage is that you can advertise, right? So, which means that you're raising money from your existing investors uh, that you have relationships with, but now you can actually post stuff on Facebook. So talk about the advantage of 506C. Now, there's a disadvantage, right? Because you have to cut out your non-accredited investors. So especially early on, you're like, I don't really care what you are. As long as you're ready to invest $50,000, I'll take your money. Now, so talk about why why you think it's it is actually easier to raise in a fund. Some other reasons that we talked about. Well, yeah, five. I mean, five hundred sixty. You can publicly advertise. 
uh, you want to get all your ads approved by your legal and compliance team and any public messaging that you do. But that, that is an advantage because you can bring in people outside of your initial uh, sphere of influence and your, your initial investor network. There is an, a disadvantage and all the investors need to be qualified as an accredited investor through third party. That can be cumbersome. But that, that lasts, I believe, 90 days. Uh, and then um, they don't have to do it again if they invest in other deals that require that for 90 days. But you want to double check that. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I'd say I, I have found from a compliance standpoint also that with 506B, well, you have to have a pre existing relationship with the investor. So you have to document a bunch of stuff. Whereas 506C, there's more button-up compliance and liability uh, for the general partner because you don't have to prove a pre-existing relationship and mm. document that with every single one of your investors that you do with 506B. Uh, re- really good, good point about that. I got one more last question before we wrap up here. One is, you know, you have different classes. We don't do that, you know, but you do it. And I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I, I kind of know why you do it. And I'm wondering what some investors are looking for stability and one are looking for upside. Like what's the, you know, what percent of investors go for one versus the other? 20% class A, the 10% who with limited upside and about 80% class B. And I know that because that's all we allow because that's how we model the deal. Because if we had, say, 50% class A, well, then the cost of capital out of the gate would be too high and the deal wouldn't make sense. But if we had, say, 5% class A, well, the class B investors wouldn't get the upside that we have modeled. So we we keep it at 20% for our, our deals. And it's beautiful from an LP standpoint because I had one, I had one uh, limited partner who had been investing with us a while prior to us introducing the class A, class B structure. And he said, well, I don't like how you now have two classes because I, I get dinged on that. I said, well, you're a class B investor. You want to invest in class B, you want the upside. He said, yeah. I said, well, no, you're actually benefiting from it. He said, well, explain that to me. So I said, as long as a deal makes more than the preferred return for class A, which in our case is 10%, then you're getting their upside. They're saying, yeah, I, I want 10%, but you can have my upside. And he said, okay. So the risk to me then as an LP who's investing in class B is if the deal doesn't make 10%, I said, yes, there is a risk there. Because if the deal doesn't make 10%, then yes, it's a disadvantage to you to have these two classes. However, if the deal makes at least 10% annualized cash on cash return, then they're giving you their upside. They're choosing that to have less risk. And so he got it and he moved forward. That's pretty cool. Joe, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, you can go to our website, ashcroftcapital.com. It's always good jam with you, Joe. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. All right. So think about this. Keep it in your back of your mind especially if you haven't done your deal, deal yet or you've done one or two, right? Once you start getting three plus deals, start thinking about a fund. It does have a lot of benefits to it. And it's something that we're discussing internally at Nighthawk because there are so many advantages. I really like the way it creates consistency across a portfolio. You know, I don't want to have a home run and then and then and one of the deals that doesn't perform, right? I want consistent predictability, certainty, 
And a fund will allow us to do that. So it's something we're talking about internally as well, something that you might want to consider as well. It's more in reach than you might think. And I was always thinking, well, gosh, a fund is something that we'll do when we have 5,000 units, but that is not the case. In fact, with people who have, have started doing funds, now that they know what they know, they're saying, my gosh, I wish I started earlier. So I'm going to just give this shot across the bow, start thinking about, start educating yourselves around the fund, ask your SEC attorney about that, educate yourself, talk to others who have done a fund and see if it's right for you. Now, if you know, I'm talking about, about funds and passively investing, uh, if you're interested in investing passively with us, we'd love to have a conversation. We at Nighthawk here. Head on over to nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button. You can fill out a short form and schedule a call with us. We'd love to talk to you about some upcoming opportunities that, that we have as well. And if you enjoyed this featured session from Dealmaker Live 2021, you can actually purchase the recordings of all the sessions. If you go to dealmakerliveevent.com and hopefully take advantage of that, it was a fantastic event where we just learned a lot from each other about doing deals, becoming financially free, figuring out your why, your greater, higher purpose that keeps you moving forward. So hopefully you enjoyed that and I'll catch you next time.